2: The Jewish Hour can now be heard on jcastnetwork.org, your portal to Jewish broadcasting. It's also on iTunes and on your smartphone using the Stitcher app. Welcome to the Jewish Hour. I'm your host, Herschel Fidman. We've got a great show for you today. Thank you for tuning in. Where else, on the listening waves, could you hear a fusion of Irish klezmer music combined with even jazz in there? Yes, indeed. We hope to please everybody. In this half hour of the show, we are going to feature a best-of interview with Harry Friedman. Wrote a biography of the Talmud. Fascinating, fascinating fellow. Fascinating work the portion of the week is the portion of Va- era can be found in the book of exodus chapter 6 and following we're starting the plagues this week we have a wonderful assortment of jewish music as always and an exciting story at the end this one's really this one's really uh has a I don't know if you call it a tinge of irony per se but it's got a local twist to it really you want to stay all the way to the end before we do anything else Let's go right to the news. <laughs> Former Prime Minister Ehud Olmert won an appeal in Israel's Supreme Israel Supreme Court shortening his prison stay from 6 years to 18 months. Olmert was found guilty in 2014 uh, two counts of bribery and sentenced to six years in prison, two years probation, and one year and a fine of a million shekels, which is about $250,000. dollars Almert is the first Israeli prime minister to be sent to prison. Former President President Moshe Katsav is currently in prison for his part in a sex scandal. Israel approved a five-year $3.84 billion plan to improve infrastructure in Arab-Israeli communities. Monies will be used to build housing, schools, and fix roads and bridges in Arab neighborhoods. Kenyan Governor Okoth Obada thanked Israel for being the first country to donate supplies to his state, which is flood-ravaged. Israel gave several tons of food, clothes, and other needs, including a solar water heater, to a local school. 30,000 people, this is the year-end stuff now, 30,000, the next three stories are about year-end, 30,000 people made Aliyah this year, that means they moved to Israel. This is the largest it's been in over a decade, with an all-time high of 7,900 immigrants from France. Israel's most popular baby names for boys, Noam, yes, there's also Uri, David, Yosef, Eitan, Itai, Ariel, Daniel, Yonatan, and Moshe. The most popular girls' names were Noah. That's not like Noah from the flood, is without an H. Noah, Tamar, Shira, Maya, Ya'el, Adel, Talia. It's probably Adel. Talia, Avigail, Ayala, and Sara. And finally, this is a story you've been waiting for. The Israeli police have finally announced the statistics. It said that it received its 1,000th complaint this week about for the year about a stray camel on an Israeli highway. There were 73 car accidents involving stray camels, which resulted in two deaths. Got to watch those camels. And that's the news. Some of the best jobs in the world are in the radio and television industry, and you too can join the workforce in as little as eight months when you complete your hands-on training at the Spex Howard School of Broadcast Arts located in Southfield, Michigan. At Spex Howard School, students get to play and learn at the same time. Imagine spending your class time behind the microphone, spinning music and hosting your own radio show, or designing and lighting a set for your own TV program, running a camera, learning to edit, directing a program, when you go to Specs, your day will be anything but dull. And if school is this fun, imagine how exciting it is to work in the growing industry. In addition, the credits you earn while attending Spex Howard School are currently accepted at 14 area colleges and universities. If you've always wanted the best job in the world, call for a tour of Spex Howard School at 248-358-9000. That's 248-358-9000 or visit them on the web at specshoward.edu. Spex-Howard School of Broadcast Arts. This is where you start. Herschel Finman, here you are, listening to The Jewish Hour. I have online Dr. Harry Friedman, who is author of The Talmud, a biography banned, censored, and burned, the book they couldn't suppress. How are you, Harry? Hi there, That's very well. How are you? Good. Uh, in case you notice the quality, Harry is c- coming to us from from England. Uh, London, England, Harry? London, England, absolutely great place. Uh, Harry, it says here is, is uh, Harry Friedman is a is a writer with a PhD in Aramaic. His books include the Gospels, Veiled Agenda. He's contributed to the Encyclopedia of Modern Jewish Culture and numerous uh, periodicals, Jewish and not. So, you're what what does it mean to be an Aramaic scholar? Does that mean I could throw out any Aramaic word and you could be able to tell me about it?
3: No, you can. My my PhD is in the Targum, um, pseudo Jonathan Targum unison to the Torah, uh-huh. uh, so I, I know a bit about that. But I can't. I can't promise to translate every Aramaic word you throw at me.
2: Okay, no problems then. Okay, so you've written a book. It's called The Biography of the Talmud. So yeah. tell us what exactly is the Talmud, and why would a book need a biography? You could just read the book. <laughs> You could just read the book, but to just sit down and read the, read the
3: Talmud, as, as you know, is a major undertaking. It takes you seven years if you read a page a day. The Talmud is a phenomenal work. I mean, it it, it is the backbone of, of Judaism. The, the the Torah is our holy book, but the Talmud is what explains what we do and why we do it. And it was written over several hundred years. It's the... the, the Earliest parts of the time will go back to the third century, and a lot the latest parts go to the sixth century. It then takes two hundred years to be edited and put into a literary form so that people can read it and understand it. And basically, what it is is a record of discussions in the academies in Babylon—that's what we now call Iraq—around the Baghdad area between the, the the third and the sixth centuries. But it's written in such a way that it's not—it's not like a sort of a, a, In England, we call it the Hansard, which is a record of the House of Parliament. It's not just a transcript of discussions they had. It's an edited work. So you get conversations between people who live centuries apart in different places, talking to each other as if they're next door neighbours. And it is one of the most phenomenal things. The reason why it needs a biography is because its history is so facet, so fascinating. It's been round the world with the Jews. It starts off in Babylon. It travels wherever the Jews go, the Talmud goes. And just like the Jews have suffered and were persecuted in many places, so too was the Talmud. And it's it's a fascinating story. And I think that learning learning the Talmud is something that Jews do and enjoy doing. But we also need to know its story.
2: Mm, okay, indeed. You mentioned it if you learn a page a day, it takes seven years to learn the Talmud. So that would mean that it's somewhere up around 2,300 pages long. But your book is 215 pages long. And if I read a page a day, it would take me more than a half a <laughs> year. So what's this? People people read a page a day and they consider that they did something. Tell us about that, please, Harry Friedman.
3: Okay. Well, when when you read a page of the Talmud, you're not just sitting down and reading a novel. You're reading very dense, very closely argued material, where you re- you've really got to get inside the argument, and you can't just read the Talmud. If you look at the Talmud page, you've got a column down the middle, which is the Talmud. On either side of that, you've got commentaries. At the back of the book, you've got further commentaries. And to understand what the Talmud is saying, you've got to look at the commentaries, and you may even have to go to other books on your shelf as well and look up what they say about it. So when we talk about li- reading the Talmud, really we should say studying the Talmud.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm reminded of a story that when I was in yeshiva, so one of my learning partners was suffering from eye strain, so he went to the, to the eye doctor and the doctor said, there's nothing wrong with your eyes, it's just that you're suffering from looking at a book too much. He said, when you get down to the bottom of the page, so he said, you should look up for a couple of seconds. So he said, I t- he told the doctor, well, that would mean I would look up like about every four or five days. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it, it warrants studying We're going to talk a little about the the logic in the Talmud. Why it, there's a I, I've reported here many years ago, and I, I tell, tell this over, and it's been re corroborated, that the Koreans came to Israel about a decade ago, and they spent three years f- trying to find out what makes Jews so smart, and they concluded that it was the study of the Talmud, and actually yep. commissioned that the Talmud be translated into South Korean. I know where they found an Aramaic South Korea, uh, an Aramaic Korean scholar. And uh, they're using it being implemented from seventh grade through 12th grade that Koreans uh, study Talmud. So yeah. what is it about the Talmud that you would say that people would say, well, that makes Jews so smart?
3: Well, I mean, that's a fascinating story about the Koreans, isn't it? And, and even more fascinating is that the children in their, in their elementary schools are studying Talmud. Obviously, we don't understand a career, so we don't know what depth they're studying it to, but it is is—it's quite incredible. I think what the, what the Talmud gives you more than, well, it gives you many things, but I think the reason why they think Jews are so smart because of the Talmud is because it challenges you. It's a bit like, on a, on a completely different level, it's a bit like playing chess all day, every day. It, it forces your mind to think in a certain way, a logic which, you know, people who spent years in yeshiva, can come out and they can learn anything in any academic environment any anywhere in the world because it's it is training for the brain. And that's why I think the, the Koreans think it's, it's it's the reason why the Jews are successful. I, I think actually there there are other reasons as well, but that's, you know, it, it's certainly one
2: of them. Mm-hmm. There's a joke which is told, which sort of, sort of depicts Talmudic logic where a person comes to a rabbi and says he would like to start studying talmud you've included that in the beginning of your book could you tell that joke please harry friedman <laughs> yes it's quite it's quite a long one so the guy the, the, the guy goes to the rabbi
3: and he says i'd like to teach me talmud i'd like to learn some talmud so the rabbi says to him okay two men fall down a chimney one comes out clean the other one comes out dirty which one goes to wash the guy thinks for a minute and he says well obviously it's, it's, it's the dirty one who goes to wash uh, and the rabbi says to him, "You, you, pos, you know, I, I told you you didn't have a head for the Talmud, how can it be the dirty one who goes to wash? The clean one looks at him, and the, the, so he looks at the clean one, and he says, he's clean, so I must be clean, so he doesn't go to wash. The guy thinks for a minute so. So means it means well. that the
2: guy with the clean face goes to wash his face because he sees the other guy has a dirty face, and thinks my face must also be dirty. So the well, guy with the, the clean end- face washes it. So, yes. So, that,
3: so that's so that's the next thing. So then the, the guy with the dirty with, with the clean face goes to wash because he sees the guy with the dirty face. Right. And the rabbi says, "No, you idiot! Why? What, 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 why would he do that? He the, the guy with the clean face." Sorry, I'm,
2: I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah I'm... you get it right now. So he asks him the question a second time
3: yes yeah, so he, he, he asked him the question
2: he, he, he says he's
3: look he's looking at me he's not washing so why should i why should i wash i must be i must be clean as well so this is, this is the guy with a dirty face doesn't go and wash so the, the the guy thinks again he thinks thinks i don't i don't know i have no idea which one goes to wash and the and the rabbi says you and How can you imagine that two men fall down the chimney and one comes out clean, one comes out dirty? I told that really badly, didn't I?
2: Yeah. How I could you that really imagine bad. that two people are going to fall down a chimney, one have a clean face and one have a dirty face? That's right. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't explain that at the beginning. Yes. So, so, yeah. So that's. So it's like. But the the question then becomes: Is this is actually the way? Like Talmud, it's making fun a little bit about Talmudic logic, but there's a lot of theory. In the Talmud, it's like people are spending a lot of time on things which aren't practical. There's, like, there's a lot of, the classic argument of Talmud that I give involves right at the beginning, it's, it's things that were learned with a little kid right at the beginning of their onset of their Talmudic careers, is involve finding scattered fruit. And there's a certain amount that you're allowed to have. You can, if you find a certain amount of, of scattered wheat in a certain area, you could keep it. So the Gemara asks the question, what happens if you double the area and double the wheat? If you half the area and half the wheat? If instead of wheat, it's sesame seeds, and instead which are very expensive. If instead of uh, wheat, it's pomegranates, which are not so expensive, but easier to pick up. And at the end of this whole thing, which takes up a, more than a page, the Gemara says, and the answer to all these questions we don't know
3: we do absolutely we we don't know because the what the camara is doing all the way through here is is challenging the premise and come back to the guys the guys falling down the chimney you said two guys fall down the chimney one comes out clean one comes out dirty the tabot challenges that you can't just take a statement and take it at face value and and this is the, the, one of one of the ways of understanding tabot logic but this idea that we don't know is also fascinating because what it means is it doesn't necessarily mean we don't know the answer it means there's more than one answer and we get the story the story of the when you're cleaning the house for Passover and a mouse runs you see a mouse running in under the floorboards with a piece of bread in its mouth And and, and a few minutes later you see a mouse running out from the floorboards with a piece of bread in its mouth and the question is is it the same mouse and the same piece of bread? In other words, do you know that there's no bread under the floorboards because the mouse is taken out again? Or is it a different mouse and a different piece of bread and the first mouse has left the bread inside inside the house and you've got to search under the floorboards? And the answer that Gomorrah gives is we don't know. But what it's really saying there is it's both answers. It's, it, 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 this word taken means it's both answers. There are two possibilities which exist at the same time. And actually... I don't know if you've seen this in the book, but this comes across into quantum physics. We have, you know, mm-hmm. these days, quantum physics talks about the, the possibility of two realities. Schrodinger's, Schrodinger's cat, the cat is alive or dead at the same time, depending on whether you're looking at it or not. A, a particle can exist in two different places, a subatomic particle can exist in two different places at the same time, depending on the position of the observer. So quantum physics and the Talmud both accept the idea that reality is not necessarily exactly as you see it, and it's possible to have more than one reality at the same time, and I find that fascinating.
2: Indeed, that's what the Talmudic scholars spend most of their life doing. Yeah, if, absolutely, yeah. yeah. If you're just tuning in, our guest today is Harry Friedman. He's written a book called The Talmud, A Biography. There's, there's other things that aren't really logical. There's a, there's a lot of stories put into the Talmud. It's called Agada, which means basically I translated it as story. So here I am in the midst of this intense and feverish, logical debate among two Talmudic scholars, and suddenly there's this, like, nice story coming up. What's that all about, Harry?
3: Well, the stories really are are ways of getting you to think about things. They're, They're moral or ethical instruction. Um, I mean, there's a very, very long story, as as you know, about the destruction of the, the temple in the year 67. And it goes into a whole big balagan about how the, uh, two go- a guy gives a party and he, he invites the wrong person. And the wrong person is, is upset because he, he tried to throw him out. And it goes on and on for three or four pages. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the idea behind the story is that because he shamed his neighbour in public, he he threw this guy out of the party in front of everybody. Therefore, his neighbour took revenge on him, and ultimately the temple was destroyed. So the the greatest calamity to have affected the Jewish world at that time was caused by something which, which seems so insignificant. You threw a guy out of a party. But these sto- that, that's a very obvious example. Some of these stories are, are less obvious, but they're all trying to tell you something. They're, they're all a way of giving you some sort of theological or ethical or just some different message which, which you have to read and understand.
2: Mm-hmm. So there, instead of just saying be nice to other people because terrible things are gonna happen if you don't, so the, the Talmud actually brings an illustration and because, because, because
3: people engage with the illustration much better than if they're just given the words.
2: Mm-hmm. So now, do we have this, this formula? You talked about learning a page a day. The learning a page a day could only be facilitated if everybody sort of had, had the same paginations. The pagination of the Talmud and the layout that you have one commentary, Rashi, who is a simple commentary, who explains the simpleness of the Talmud, uh, is on the inside of the column, and then Tosos, who is grandson, who asks questions and goes a bit deeper, doesn't isn't really all that old. It was set up by those people. First of all, it has to have been after the printing press. So the the Talmuds that were handwritten, that we still have, thank God, some existing copies of, don't have the same even page setup. So how that with this, the 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 formalness of the page setup of the Talmud, then Harry.
3: Harry OK, so, so in, in the early 16th century, when, when printing is just becoming established and the major printing centres in Europe are, are, are in Venice, there's a guy called Bomberg. Bomberg is not, is not a Jew, but he's a printer and he's got a printing shop in, in Venice and he's, he's approached, he's asked to, to, to print a copy of the Talmud. He prints the Talmud and he he lays it out in a certain way and he has his pages and his pages become the model for all future editions of the Talmud um, and the and the edition the, the sort of standard edition that we we read today is, is 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 printed later in the 18th century but it's still got the same pagination so it means that anybody who's reading the Talmud anywhere in the world with the addition of one very important modern edition anywhere else in the world has got exactly the same page, and you can cross-reference and you can talk to each other because you can just say on this page, and 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 it's there. It doesn't matter who's who's printed your Talmud.
2: Okay. Now let's let's talk a little bit about the history of the Talmud. The, the Talmud, what had some like rocky reception through through Europe. Could you give us a little brief history about that, please, Harry?
3: Okay. So so we we have to go back to b- before the Talmud had its rocky reception. The One of of the founding principles of Christianity is that their their Redeemer will not come again until the Jews are all converted. And so for centuries, the the Christians, the monks are trying to persuade the Jews to understand the Christian interpretation of the Bible, because if the Jews understand the Christian interpretation of the Bible, they'll see the Christians are right and they'll all convert to Christianity and their Redeemer will come again. And the problem with that is that the Jews will not accept the Christian interpretation of the Bible, and the Christians don't understand why. And eventually they realize that the reason why the Jews will not accept it is because the Jews have their own tradition of interpretation, and this tradition is, is, in, is contained in the Talmud. And so suddenly the Talmud becomes the enemy. The Talmud is a thing which is stopping the Jews from accepting Christianity, and therefore the Talmud has to be dealt with. So you get a series of the first one. is. Let, in me, let, me, let me
2: interject something, something yeah. here. Yeah. The question is just very puzzling. OK, so but more commentaries and interpretations of the Bible are found in Medrash. And we don't see that there was such an opposition to, say, Medrash, Robert, Tan, Chuma, Yalquh, that there was to the Talmud, Harry. Okay, now I,
3: I think the problem there is simply one of the terminology. I think when, when when the early church understands the word Talmud, it includes Medrash, it, uh-huh. it, it includes everything. Because I don't think they, you know, they, they they can't read Hebrew most of them, uh, and they and so they can't discriminate between these different books. But in in, in 1240, there's a, a a Jewish convert, and you find all the way through Jewish history, these problems come from Jewish converts. Jewish converts to Christianity writes to the Pope and says the Talmud is anti-Christian, it contains slanders against Christianity, and he lists a number of charges, none of them are true, but he lists these charges and he sends them to the Pope, and the Pope does nothing, and the guy keeps banging on at the Pope, and eventually the Pope says, okay, what I want you to do is I want you to order the kings, or to instruct the kings of France and Portugal and England and Spain to destroy all copies of the Talmud. So this guy goes, and he tells the kings, and the kings ignore him, except for the king of France. And the king of France says, okay, well, I'm not just going to go off and destroy all the copies of this Talmud. I don't know what it is, and I don't know why should I go to the bother of doing this. What I'll do is I'll find out what the Talmud is. So he he, he orders a disputation, and he orders the guy who, who, who has um, started the, the Talmud. Nicholas Donin is his name. He's, a, he's now a Dominican monk. And he orders the senior rabbi in France, Rabbi yechiel to come to a disputation in Paris. And... It's, a, it's an intimidating affair. It's, it's held in public. In front, in, the king is there and the, the knights and the barons and all the, you know, all the great people of France are there. And Rabbi Achil is there on his own trying to defend the Talmud against this, this Dominican convert from Judaism. And, of course, you know, the are stats against him. It doesn't really matter what, he's, what he says because he's going to lose anyway. So he loses. And the decree goes out to burn the Talmud. And over the next few months they gather together all copies of the Talmud in France. But of course, like I said just now, it's not just all copies of the Talmud, because the guys who are going into the schools and the homes and the synagogues and the bet midrash and collecting these Talmuds are just collecting anything in Hebrew because they can't read Hebrew and they don't know what they're collecting. So all basically all the manuscripts, it's long before printing, everything's written by hand. All the manuscripts are collected up, 24 cartloads, which is a huge amount of stuff, particularly when you think that every word has been written by hand, are brought to a square in Paris, and they're burnt in 1242. And this is the first of a series of burnings of the time which go all the way through Jewish history and, and, and until really until the 18th century.
2: Until the 18th the, century, they're still, still, they're still so doing it. They're still doing it.
3: it. they're still doing it, yeah. Uh, and of course, they're still, you know, and they're still doing it in Nazi Germany as well. I mean, but you know, but that, but that's that, that's just Judaism, yes. Yeah. Um, the I think the, the most famous of these disputations is in um, in Barcelona in 1263, when Ramban Ramban Nachmanides, who is the you know one of the greats of Jewish. Jewish scholarship, uh, an outstanding intellect, similar situation he's ordered to debate the Talmud in front of the king against a Jewish convert who has become a monk and Ramban says I'm only going to do it if the the king promises not to get involved in the argument because I'm not going to start arguing with the king and the king agrees and they have the disputation and again the odds are stacked against Ramban but this time the king, this is the king of Spain the king says to Ramban I've never heard anybody who was wrong argue his case so well and he gives Ramban <laughs> some, yeah, it's great. He gives Ramban, and Ramban thinks, great, I'm, you know, I've I, I, I succeeded. And then the king says, but I'm going to come to the synagogue next Saturday with the monk to preach the gospel to the Jews. So, so Ramban wins and loses
2: at the same time. Right, he, he very shortly thereafter took off for Turkey.
3: Very, and he, and, and then goes, he, then, he, he then goes, that's right. And he actually go, he goes to Akko in Israel where he meets Rabbi Yechiel, who was the, the, the guy in Paris 20 years earlier.
2: Mm-hmm. They, could, they could commiserate. It didn't. Absolutely. It didn't have the same um, effect, and in, in among the non-Jews in Arab countries, per se
3: no it didn't. I think you know the the, the Jewish experience in Arab countries until you know, the last one hundred and fifty years or so was was very different The, Jew, the Jews were second class citizens, but they were tolerated they were protected and the, the, I mean first of all, I think Islam has a different you know the, the, the Talmudic logic and the, and the way that the Talmud deals with the problem is replicated in in Islam. And the fact that Talmud and Islam grew up in in the same environment, but Baghdad in, in, in the 7th, 8th centuries is a center of Jewish scholarship and a center of Islamic scholarship.
2: So they've got a lot more in common. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Again, if you're just tuning in, shame on you. You should have been here 20 minutes ago. But anyway, our guest is Harry Friedman. He's written a book called The Talmud, A Biography. And we're talking about the Talmud. Um... The, what about say, as Judaism is developed in the modern time, you have something called the Enlightenment movement, Moses Mendelssohn. You have the uh, Stephen Wise, the Reform movement, and uh, with with the Talmud as well. Yeah,
3: this is interesting, isn't it? I mean, I think this is not this is not anti-Talmud. This is about trying to bring the modern world into Judaism. There's a perception amongst certain um, reform movements that the that Judaism was old fashioned certainly when when the reform movement first started in the 19th century some of the things they wanted to do were to change the prayers into English to get rid of the, the, the prayers for the return to Zion and they wanted to get rid of some of the ritual laws which they considered out of date like kosher meat and things like that and they saw the, the origins of these things in the Talmud and therefore what they said was it's the Talmud which has kept Judaism out of the modern world, we want to go back to pre-Talmud, to the Bible, to the prophetic tradition, and look at the morality of, of, of and, and the the urgings of the prophets for people to live, to live good lives. And we're not so worried about the rituals which the which the Talmud is explaining. Well, where's the shortcoming
2: in that? Can I just read the Bible and understand what it says? Well, I think the shortcoming
3: is is is, 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 is the proof is in the pudding because what's happened now in I think nearly all reform and, uh, and um, progressive movements is not there is an interest in the Talmud. They're not necessarily going to you know, start, start to keep things in, this, in the way that the, the Haredi, the, the, the strictly Orthodox communities will keep it, but they're interested in the Talmud because they see that the Talmud is of value. Even if you're not gonna keep the law in all its detail, just to study the Talmud, the understanding of, of the origins of Judaism, how it's progressed to, to, to wherever you are on the spectrum, That journey starts with the Talmud.
2: Mm -hmm. Indeed. Okay, that's going to just about wrap it up for us today. We want to thank you so much. Again, our guest has been Harry Friedman. He's written a book called The Talmud, a biography, banned, censored, burned the book they could not suppress. Excuse me. It is published by Bloomsbury and available wherever uh, you buy books from. And uh, we want to thank you so much for taking up some of your time and wish you uh, tremendous success with this work. My pleasure. Thank, thank you for your time. Robert. Okay, Excellent. take Thanks. care. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. The Art Studio of Oak Park is now accepting students. Whether you're a real beginner or have been at it for a lifetime, the Art Studio of Oak Park has something for you. All levels welcome, all ages welcome. Private tutoring or small, friendly classes. Flexible hours available. The Art Studio of Oak Park is very affordable. Make your life better. Put art into your life. The Art Studio of Oak Park offers lessons in a strictly kosher environment. Call today, 248-542-5087. That's 248-542-5087. It's great having an art room right in the neighborhood. Hey, Finman here, you're listening to The Jewish Show. I found that interview fascinating, and I hope you did too. And if you have any comments about it, drop me a line at rabbifinman.com. It's time for music. Eighth Day, they've done it again. This might be the third time, maybe in six weeks, we've played a new song by Eighth Day. They're becoming very prolific. This is together with Blue Melody. They are a backup band that have their own station on YouTube. So you can go to bluemelody.com. The song is called Mama Rahul, which is about the matriarch, Rachel. Let's listen in.
4: I'm going to go home with Behmel auf dem Weg, in der ange ist Behalten am Ameruch dort am Ihre Kinder, viel mit Zürich, kommen in in Geräusch. Bei der heute mit Städte Geh reichen Sucht sie I'm going to be a good person. I'm Being far in Rachel, the
2: assurance of quality and excellence in kosher look for the michigan k on the label what's it look like the lower peninsula of michigan with a k it's a symbol of the michigan kosher supervisors go to their website mycosup.com. that's mi for michigan ko for kosher and sup for supervisors mycosup.com and find this month's featured products you'll find michigan k products wherever fine food is sold especially at natural food patch on west nine mile road in ferndale Eric Schultzman, here listening to The Jewish Shower. We got a request. This is from Sam, who lives up in the JCC complex of Senior Citizen Housing up in West Bloomfield. He said he wanted to hear Mickey Katz doing Bagel Call Rag, which is a classic. Let's hear it. Thanks, Sam, for calling in.
1: Mops, Brecht de Koff, Wuhan, Rezmachet, have some locks with cream cheese. Here comes Mendel with a bagel call red. We're with a hey nanny nanny and a hot car Now we're cooking the whole with gas. Come, shame bear, play Yiddish jazz. <laughs> In the Rimpipic Battle Guild, you scrape it like a genus, search your field. Here comes a little hebub, Zets, Borja me, Cap Cats. Bam 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 bam. Hic 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 Beat it all, Sammy Weiss. Let's hear the bugle call rag.
2: someone you know have an addiction to opiates ready to take your life back but don't have the time for a long inpatient program mds drug detox is a team of physicians with extensive experience in the field of rapid drug detox under anesthesia mds is the nation's only rapid opiate detox under anesthesia facility with the same doctors rns and certified paramedics attending the entire drug detox process MDS Drug Detox is safe and effective. Their goal is to provide the best, the safest, and the most economical way to free you from your addiction. MDS uses the highest standards of care and the best FDA-approved medications. MDS Drug Detox understands what your concerns are. Make the call today, 888-637-6968, or go online to www.mdsdrugdetox.com. That's 888-637-6968. MDS Drug Detox. Hey, Shul Finman. you're listening to the Jewish Hour. We got a call from, actually a letter from, a person who identified himself as Avi from Oak Park. So these are two, it's very rare we get two requests in one day for music, but... He likes Svartic music and wanted to hear. He's like putting me to the challenges, like, does the Jewish archive, Jewish Hour archives have? So he wanted, there's a, there's, a, there's a standard Ladino song. For people who don't know, Ladino is like the Spanish version of Yiddish, which is for German. It's a mixture of Spanish and Hebrew, which Jews spoke throughout the time that they lived in Spain, and there are still Sephardic Jews who still speak it. So one of the more classic Ladino-Jewish songs is Quandalare Nimrod, which was a song about the test that Nimrod, it appears in the Bible, gave to the patriarch Abraham about bow down or I'm going to throw you into a furnace. This is Ga'an yaharam and thank you, Avi, for the request. <laughs> quando le reni
1: m'rod oh, oh, dal camposaniglia mirava in el cielo e in la estreruia vido lu santa in la juderia che havia de nascer ara ma vino ara vino padre che rido padre bendici o lu ste israel ara na Padre querido, Padre bendito, luz de Israel. La mujer de Terach que brillada, de día en día ella preguntaba de qué tenés la cara tan demudada, ella ya sabía el bien que Adarama vino, padre querido, padre bentì, oh luz degli Israel. Adarama vino, padre querido, padre bentì, oh luz degli Israel. Quando le re Nimrod al campo salì, Miraba en el cielo y en la estrería, vi luz santa en la judería, que había de nacer Abraham avino. Abraham avino, padre querido, padre bendito, luz de Israel. Luz los de
2: Here, children, and here you are listening to the Jewish Hour. This week's portion is the portion of Va'era. And it opens up with the continuing saga with Moses and the Jewish people in Egypt. Last week we left off. Moses went down to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no, I'm not doing that. So Moses went back to God and said, I quit. So here it is now, the Almighty is responding to Moses' resignation. And what does he say? He says, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and I appeared to them with a lower level name of God, meaning a lower revelation of God. And to you, I appeared with a higher name of God. Which is sort of like saying, well, why why are you belly aching? Which is really what God's retort was. You look at Abraham. We just played a song about Abraham and Nimrod. Good segue. That Nimrod said, bow down or I'm going to throw you into a furnace. Abraham said, no brainer. Throw me into the furnace. And he walked out. Did, Nimrod, did, did Abraham come to me the next time we spoke and said, you know, God, I didn't really appreciate being thrown into a fire for the cause. No, he did it because that's what he did. Now you have Isaac, for example. Isaac allowed himself, because remember, he's not a little kid, as the Bible suggests. He's 37 years old. Allows himself to get tied down to a pile of wood on an altar, ready to get slaughtered for the cause. Did Isaac, when he spoke to God, ever say, God, I'm out of here? I don't want any part of this business. This is like, you know, hello, you could get killed doing this. Nope, never said a word. Jacob led a life of misery such that we say the last 17 years of his life when he was living in Egypt, which was called the worst place in the world to live, those were the best years of his life. You can imagine what the rest of his life was like. Did Jacob complain? Nope, Jacob did not complain. So now the Almighty turns to Moses, says, you know, if you recall when we were standing at the burning bush, I said that you're going to go to Pharaoh, and he's not going to let you go, because what kind of story is that? Moses goes to Pharaoh, says, listen, the God of the Jews came to me, and he wants you to let the Jewish people go. It's it's time. We have to go get to Torah. And Pharaoh says, hmm, I think that's a good idea. Okay. And then... They leave, okay? It would have not have been the story that it was, the magnanimity of it. It would not have been of the epic proportion. They would have not have made movies involving casts of thousands. If that's the way, it would have gone. It would have just been some incident. Jews would have left. They would have gotten the Torah, and then, you know, hey. Like this, we have something to talk about because the Almighty said, we want the publicity. We want this. This is marketing over here. It's obviously a lot more than that. I'm just being a little bit glib. But the point is, Moses, at the first sign of adversity, wanted to throw in the towel. He said, want to I've had enough of this. I want to go back to being a shepherd. A proper leader. What's a proper leader? Who is a proper leader? Who has the qualifications to be a proper leader? Is somebody who would really not rather be a leader. They were put into that position because of their abilities, their talents, their skills, their knowledge, etc. But if it were up to them, they would rather not be there. That's the person you want to have for a leader. All the the Rebbis and the Jewish leaders and the great rabbis They would have all just been happy, just leave me alone, let me sit down with my books, maybe I'll write some stuff, and I'll just enjoy myself over here. I don't need the headache of being a leader. So Moses set the trail over here. He just like said, I'd rather not. And God said, yeah, so (laughs) nobody does. And if you did want to do it, I wouldn't want you. That's when he said, and you don't have to worry about your success which is a lesson to us. What do we have to do? We have to do. The accomplishments of our doing is totally and completely not up to us. It's totally up to the Almighty. You take a look at a doctor, for example. Doctor receives a certain amount of training so that when a patient comes to him, he does procedure X, and it works, and everybody's happy. Then another patient comes, same problem, he does the same procedure X, and it works and everybody's happy. Third person comes in, same problem, he does procedure X, and it doesn't work. It's like, what happened? It's simple. What the doctor is providing is not the cure. The doctor is providing the means for the almighty to cure. So it's the same thing if you're not a doctor, whatever profession you may be engaged it's not you who are doing it. you're doing whatever you're doing. You're providing the vehicle for the Almighty to be able to get done what needs to be done. So the accomplishment is not ours. What you are able to achieve that's all that's all the Almighty. but the Almighty says you should know. in next week's portion, God says, "Come with me to Pharaoh is the name of the portion It doesn't say go. He's not sending. He says, I'm, I'm here already. You have to come to Pharaoh where I am right now, which is where you have to be. Because if we recognize that the Almighty is with us, you don't have anything to worry about. Don't worry about if you got there. Just worry about getting there. We've got to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Hi,
3: this is Spex Howard from the Spex Howard School of Broadcast Arts. We're happy to sponsor The Jewish Hour and bring quality radio programming to the community. While much of the funding for The Jewish Hour comes from its sponsors, it's listeners like you that help keep The Jewish Hour on the air. Please send your tax-deductible donation to The Jewish Hour, 14,000 West Nine Mile Road, Oak Park, Michigan,
0: 48237. That's 14,000 West Nine Mile Road, Oak Park, Michigan,
2: 48237. Your help is greatly appreciated. Hey, familiar here you're listening to the Jewish hour. Would you like to get in touch with me? Have you got a song request? Ooh, we had two this week. That's so that's I'm so happy when I get those. Especially if it's one something like a cha a challenge, like Quandel Rey Nimrod. That was it was. I had to think, mm, do I have that? And I thought, oh yeah, maybe. Let me look at my my international shelf and see what's, yep, there it was. Wonderful, wonderful rendition. So something you want to hear right here, go to RabbiFinman.com, go on the contact page. You can also, you can tell me something that you liked about the show, something you didn't like about the show, some way which you'd like to see the show improved. Always taking it to heart. That's a wonderful thing. I just feel like dropping a line. Let's say you're bored. Okay, that's fine. Drop me a line. I'm good. You'll also find archive editions of the radio show if you missed any of today's show or last week's show or the week before that or the week before that. Well, go to com, And the good thing about it is it's got one of these players with a slide thing on it. So let's say you heard half the show. You just have to hear the other half. You just go to the part that you missed and you're good. There's also archived editions of the E-Parsha, U-Parsha, Hasidic Youth Story, which these are uh, insights into Judaism presented by yours truly in other media other than this one speaking and the very important donations page. We are at the beginning of January, and I would like to thank those who participated in our year-end push because da, 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 we paid for November.
1: Yay!
2: We did it. You did it. That last donation that came in on December 31st for $18, that put us to the top, and we were able to pay our bill. Yes, for November. But that means, uh uh-oh, it's January. So we have December and January we're still faced with. So it's time. I can't tell you, listen, it's year end. You know, in the IRS, all that stuff, that's not going to work. So and as far as Judaism goes, we're right in the middle of the year. So I saw somebody post it on Facebook when he's talking about, uh, oh, New Year? That was so three months ago. You know, Jewish New Year was in September. But it's always a good time. Go to the computer. Go to the donations page. You'll help keep... Detroit, Michigan's only Jewish radio program, now approaching it 20 years on air, all because of listener support like yourself. Go to the computer, RabbiFinman.com, click on donations, click on a number. If you have a PayPal account, the whole transaction takes 30 seconds, from your PayPal account to my PayPal account. Don't have PayPal? It'll take you three minutes to enter in all the numbers and addresses and whatnot would rather not deal with your credit card and internet fine drop uh, drop me a line send me a, send me a mail regular traditional at the jewish hour 14000 west 9 mile road oak park michigan 48237 this story that we're going to tell I'm not exactly sure when it occurred. I think it happened and came to light in the 1960s. There's a rabbi by the name of Beryl Wine who has written a zillion books. He lives in Muncie, New York. He's a a venerable rabbi at this point. He is, I believe, the son-in-law of either rabbi Grubner, I think son-in-law of rabbi Grubner of blessed memory, who was the previous chief rabbi of Detroit and would come to Detroit quite often. And as it was... He had a meeting. I don't know if he was living here at that time. A meeting with the editor of the Free Press, which is today still called the Free Press. It's not the same editor though. And I don't know what the nature of the meeting was, but it wasn't important. So, the, but the editor told us told a story that his mother came to this country from Ireland in the 1930s. She was a young person um, in her late teens, like eighteen, nineteen and had come to America to, in order to make money, in order to get her family out of impoverished Ireland. And uh, she was an uneducated woman. And this is talking about this editor's mother. And took on a job as a domestic, a live-in, in the home of a prominent member of the Jewish community. This lady... In Ireland, probably never saw the word Jew. Had probably maybe heard the word Jew. Didn't know, but she just wasn't familiar with Judaism at all. Says the family had gone on vacation around this time of the year. And they were scheduled to come back on December 24th, towards evening. And this young woman was so distraught that here was this family they had gone away and they hadn't made any provisions to put up any decorations or a Christmas tree. And so she took it on herself out of the goodness of her heart that she went and got a Christmas tree and got decorations and put it up right in the living room in the front window of this very prominent Jewish family. It says the family came home and they pulled up in front of the house and saw the, the decorations and thought, oh, we're on the wrong block. And went around the block, said, no, it was the right house. They went into the house and this this young woman came to them and said, I surprised you, you didn't have any decorations up, so I supplied them with you, for you. And she said, and there's no need to thank me. And I put in her, Irish brook, there's no need to thank me. I can't do Irish. Anyway, so after they thanked her and, uh, you know, that's very nice. Uh, so the the uh, father, the prominent person, calls in the woman into his study. And he thanked her profusely for her kindness and handed her a $100 bill, which in the 1930s, you're talking, it's a lot of money. It's probably more than three weeks' salary. And then explained to her... jews don't have christmas trees then the editor concluded the story to rabbi wine it says in the free press there has never been any anti-israel material and as long as i'm editor there never will be because of the sensitivity of that jewish man to this young unknowing irish girl that's going to do it for us thank you for tuning in We hope you have a great week. We hope we had a chance to entertain you a bit. We hope we had a chance to educate you a bit. We hope to see you back again next week. Take care.